the Off Day Podcast. Give me a chest bump. <laughs> with Andy Hart. All right, good to be with you. All right. This yeah, microphone great. put up a little less fight than the one last night. <laughs> and Ryan Hannibal. What's your name again? <laughs> Hannibal. Hannibal. Oh, Hannibal. Hannibal. Mr. Dot Commer. On WEEI.com. podcast. Another week of uh, quarantining. It's been like two months now, it seems like. But we keep pumping out these podcasts. Thank you to uh, Zoom for making these possible. Um, this one will be focused on the Patriots All-Brady Era team which WEI uh, sort of unveiled yesterday afternoon. I know you, Andy, played a, a big role in that. I guess explain how this all went down and what the team entailed. Well, our program director, Joe Zarbano, was sort of the point man behind this because he, when the Patriots revealed their all-decade team, he rightfully sort of acknowledged, oh, there weren't a lot of tough choices. It was kind of obvious, not that interesting, not really spurring much debate or topic. So he thought maybe, you know, the idea of encompassing the 20 years of Brady and all the good players from sort of the first era of the dynasty, the second era of the dynasty, comparing them and putting them on one team uh, might be a good idea. So we put together the list. We had 23 um, WEI staff members, personalities, everybody, you, me, uh, vote on it and put together the team. We had 11 offensive players, which included one flex player, so sort of the opportunity for whichever running back, tight end, wide receiver you didn't vote for at those positions, you could put it the flex. Defensively, it actually turned out 12 players because we voted four defensive linemen, four linebackers, because obviously the team's kind of been 3 4 4 3, versatile, multiple over the years. Kicker, punter, uh, no long snapper again. Continue to overlook the long snapper. No love. Uh, returner, coaches, and coordinators, which is a little different spin. Not everybody includes. Um, and so you will uh, unveil some of the names that made the list. I think a lot of the, the actual team members also ended up being somewhat um, easy choices, obvious choices. But what I found interesting, and we'll get into this as we go on, is the voting, where not everybody saw it the same way. And I do think it's interesting that some people probably brought different personal criteria to the, the idea. You yeah, know, no, you I well, I mean, you have, you know, short runs. Does it matter if a guy was only here for a year or two or only good for a year or two versus, you know, guys that were here 8, 10, 12 years? Does it matter about winning? You know, there's so much of the Patriots the last 20 years is about winning Super Bowls. Guys that didn't win Super Bowls, I think some people um, sort of downgraded them, maybe didn't vote for them. Then there's some recency bias, I think. Then there's some of the super fan bias against maybe some players that um, didn't shine necessarily in postseason or had some mistakes in the postseason. And so I just think there was a lot that went into it. Um, but you can start it off with the controversial selection at quarterback. Uh, yeah, it was very controversial. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo actually got half the votes. So it was a 50-50 tie. I'm not, uh, I don't even think we were able to vote on that. Were we? I mean, I guess you could have put Drew Bledsoe or you could have put Jimmy Garoppolo or Jacoby Brissett or Matt Castle or whoever. Um, but no, it was Tom Brady's team, Tom Brady's era, Tom Brady's slot. Um, you know, Same we probably should have done We could have done a backup quarterback. That's true. It's good. That would have been a good one. You had plenty of candidates. Yeah, I would say, um, see, it's interesting because you could go Drew Bledsoe for just that short span and getting them to the Super Bowl in 2001. Castle had the most experience, most playing time. Garoppolo might be the best player. Yep. Um, that really developed under – so that might have been different, but we didn't do that, so keep going. Uh, tight end was the same way, just Robert Murkowski. There was no uh... – Yeah, we had nine unanimous selections. Obviously, Brady and Gronkowski were among them. Well, I don't think we were able to vote for Gronk, honestly, right? I mean, you – yeah, you could have. No, I mean, I'm saying in the form that we got, I think it was just Gronk was the tight end. Well, yeah, because I think they just assumed. I mean, did you want to right. vote for somebody else? No. You're not happy about that? <laughs> no, I just think you could say the same thing about some other positions, but I guess we'll get into that as we go. Um, we'll start offensive tackle. Uh, basically, I think it doesn't matter if you're left, right. It was just tackles regardless. Sort yes, of the same thing with It was pick two tackles, pick two guards, that kind of thing. Not necessarily, which I think there would have been more debate maybe. Had yeah. we what the Biology, heck? To anticipate their ever-changing nutrition. Sorry for the, uh, for differences you can see. 
Good thing that wasn't porn or something. No, that's our page. That, that I was pulling up the ballot. Oh, mute that. Well, then I mute you, so. Yeah, you work. win some, you lose some. <laughs> we'll have to work through this. I'll, I guess I can pull out my phone. Um, but, yeah, so we went with any of those double positions, cornerback, tackle, guard. We went with pick two. So you didn't necessarily – which is similar – to what the Patriots did for their all-decade team. A lot of, you know, the Pro Bowl, the All-Pro team, pretty much everybody does that now. Um, and it makes sense because if you're the left tackle, you could play right tackle. Like right. Matt Light could have played right tackle. Nate Solder could have played right tackle. Um, now, to be fair, I also think that Sebastian Vollmer may have been able to play left tackle. He was right. um, a good right tackle candidate. But we just went with two tackles and two guards. So the two tackles were Matt Light and Nate Solder, which it is what it is. I'm, I'm fine with that voting. Light had 22 of the 23 votes, so he was one of our Nair unanimous guys. Solder had 13. Vollmer actually got nine votes, so was competitive in the process. Yeah. Mark, Marcus Cannon and Trent Brown each got a vote. How does Trent Brown get a vote? I don't know. I think part of it is, so we should say, I think there were some producers involved with this that are relatively young somewhat um, influenced by what, what they call recency bias, that new term. We'll see that elsewhere when I will rant and rave about some votes that were cast or not cast that I think are absolutely uh, moronic, as I like to say. But, um, yeah, I don't think there's a lot of controversy between Light and Solder as you tackle. Well, uh, guards were Logan Mankins and Joe Tooney. Here I think there's a little bit more for, room for debate. Now, Mankins was unanimous, as he should be. Yep. I think he's – a Hall of Fame caliber guard. I agree, yep. Now, the issue is, it's another spot where these are two left guards, uh, Joe Tooney, and I think this is very much a recency bias. He's their franchise guy, because I think we have some debate as to whether he's better than Shaq Mason, never mind if he's the best guard of the Mankins of the last 20 years. I personally would have voted, I did vote for Stephen Neal. And I think I did too, actually. I think, and Stephen Neal, so... Mankins had 23 votes. Tooney had seven. Joe Andruzzi had six. He would represent that early era. Yep. Stephen Neal was sort of the tweener era. Um, I think he was the best player. I think he was the closest thing to Mankins in terms of pure physical ability uh, at the position. Now everybody knows his story. He went from wrestler, didn't play college football, became a great athlete, guard. Um, I thought he was pretty dominant. And then Dan Conley and Shaq Mason. Uh, Conley got two votes. Shaq Mason got three votes. So I – to me, I think Tooney is a guy you could say he doesn't really deserve to be on this team for what he's done the last um, four years. But it is what it is. Like to, For me personally, I sort of weighed the championships more so than maybe others did. And Stephen Neal won three Super Bowls, so that's why he got my vote. Yeah, he won Super Bowls. I think he was a great story. I think he was great athletically. I think he could, you know, the stories you hear about, he used to be able to just, like, jump and touch his head to the ceiling in the locker room, like stupid athlete. Um, uh, to me, he was a Pro Bowl caliber guard, and I guess Tooney is too. Um, but I just, I, I would have gone with, I did go with Neil, and I think more people should have gone with Neil. I think they got this wrong. Well, don't yell at me because I, I, I was with you. We didn't even consult on this too. We just. And Dan Conley, I mean, Dan Conley was a nice story, nice player, but he literally couldn't hold Stephen Neal's jock. I mean, there is nothing Dan Conley did as well as Stephen Neal. Uh, return kicks, I guess. Uh, and somebody who voted for Dan Conley told me they weighed that into the decision, which it, that person should lose any voting rights in any future things, panels we put together, because that is the most asinine thing I've ever heard of. Uh, wide receiver, I guess there's probably going to be some. the center? Oh, sorry, center. No love for centers? I was just so excited to get to wide receivers. Uh, the center was Dan Copen, sort of the early era. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not surprised by that, were you? No, Dan Copen got 12 votes, seven for David Andrews, your current center, and then four for Damian Woody. Um, I think they were all pretty good players. Um, I don't, wouldn't have actually a problem with any of them getting the nod here. I think Copen huh. was the best. I think he had the longest run of any of them. He was a pro bowler. I don't know if Woody made the pro bowl with the Patriots or not, but I know Copen made the pro bowl in 07 um, with Mankins and Matt Light. So, I, I think we got it right. I think that he is the – David Woody was only a pro bowler once in 2002, so that was with the Patriots. 
Okay, so he was. And Damian Woody gets downgraded because he couldn't shotgun snap back in the day. They had to move guard Mike Compton to center when they wanted to go shotgun, which um, is not ideal when you give things away such as that and have to do those no. types of things. No. Um, but no, Dan Copen, good player. Um, obviously stuck around. He's a beer brewer now. I don't know if that has any relevance to anything, but just wanted to say it. Uh, no, I don't think most people knew that. I did. but And he was actually a, a, a co-host of our good friend Mike Giardi's old podcast. Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's true. Got, yeah, so he's man of the people. He's versatile. Yes, very. Uh, wide receiver. So there is some debate here. I think – so how do you want to do this? you want to get into the flex position too or just – Well, we'll get into that. We'll start with receivers, and we should say that the way the ballot was written out by Joe Zarbano – they, there was a slot for wide receiver one and wide receiver two, which in my mind, like, so there's a hierarchy there. Like you're picking the best receiver of the era. And right. for wide receiver one, Randy Moss got the nod. Yep. But I found it interesting. He got 18 of the 23 votes at wide receiver one. So five people, including apparently Christian Fourier, after listening to him talk on the radio, didn't vote for Randy Moss as wide receiver one. I'm not sure he voted for Randy Moss at all. Because while I have the raw numbers, they were not given to me with the people who voted for them. So Randy Moss got 18. Julian Edelman got two. And Wes Welker got three for wide receiver one. And Randy Moss, interestingly, got 19 total votes between wide receiver one, wide receiver two, and flex. So, so he was four, not listed. Four people didn't vote for him at all at wide receiver? Correct. The man who in three years and four games had 50 touchdowns, had 260 catches, nearly 4,000 yards, 23 touchdowns in 2007 when he and Welker changed, I would say, the trajectory of the offense, the, the playbook, the record book, anything you want to say, they changed it. Uh, he wasn't included for whatever reason that I will never, ever understand you know what even sneaky good i didn't realize so he had 23 12 and 11 or something like that touchdowns the fourth year when everybody says oh you know they had to trade him he had three touchdowns in four games he was well on his way to another double digit touchdown season while kicking and screaming and being you know the pied piper of negativity in the locker room so they had to get rid of him because he wanted a contract he was going to have another double digit touchdown season potentially Yep. He was going to have four years with double-digit touchdowns. And four years out of 20 is 20%. And yet somebody's on our list, four of them, decided he didn't deserve any votes. So Randy Moss got wide receiver one. Wide receiver two in our voting went to Julian Edelman, who got 12 votes for wide receiver two. Uh, Wes Welker got six. Dion Branch got two. Troy Brown got three. And – I'm fine with that. I think Edelman's in the mix for your top three. Who was your uh, vote? Mine was Welker. I think Moss and Welker were the two receivers of Brady's career. Who'd yeah. you vote for? You voted for Edelman, didn't you? Yeah, but I had a tough decision, though. And I just kind of went with the winning. Like, I think on the, like, numbers-wise and, and ability-wise, I think Welker is that guy above Edelman. But I just – I weighed the winning more. And that's why I went with Edelman. Yeah, I think um, – Wes Welker redefined the slot position, not just for the Patriots, but for the entire National no Football League. No question. Like, and the statistics he put up over that, whatever it was, five or six year span, he rolled out of bed and caught 100 balls. The only time he didn't is when he was coming off an ACL that he tore at the end of the year before and didn't miss any time. And when he returned, you could tell he was a shell of himself, even though he caught 86 or 89 passes that year. Um, Wes Welker's ability to stay on the field, you know, the old Bill Belichick, availability is the most important ability. Well, he had that better than anybody. Edelman's the same way, though. Uh, not for his whole career he hasn't been. He's found it of late. He has had long spans where he's dealt with various injuries. And a year ago, while I give him credit for gutting it out, it adversely affected his performance. Whereas Wes Welker got the snot kicked out of him, and it didn't really adversely affect his performance. I think the reason Wes Welker doesn't get the votes from a lot of people is that one catch in a Super Bowl where the ball was not thrown very well. Should he have caught it? Sure. But it was not a great throw. He dropped it. One play. People hold that against him. They hate Wes Welker, blah, blah, blah. You know, they don't look at the 2007 Super Bowl when he had whatever it was, 11 catches for 115 yards and 
could have been in consideration for the MVP of that game had they actually won the game and Ellis Hobbs not been left on an island with Plaxico Barris, right? Nobody, nobody remembers that. So um, the way Wes Welker's treated kind of annoys me. But So let's look at the voting. So Edelman wins at 12 votes for wide receiver two. Yeah. And the flex position, as you brought up, could be anybody you didn't include on your wide receiver, tight end, or running back ballots. And it had to be a wide receiver. I don't see, I don't see an argument how you can make anything for a running back or a tight end just because of the names at wide receiver. Deion Branch, Danny Amendola, if you Wes Welger, Julian Edelman, like the, those names are, are better than any other spots. Well, three people didn't agree with you. Uh, no, no, no. Five, six people did not agree with you because Aaron Hernandez got a vote. Okay. Corey Dillon got a vote. Somebody who curiously didn't want Corey Dillon as their running back decided he was their flex. And then uh, James White got four votes, which if you treat it as a true flex position, I guess you could consider like, cause he doesn't really fit in as your running back, even though he was the running back on the right. Patriots all decade team, he's a pass catcher, but whatever in this category, uh, Welker got seven votes. Edelman got six. So Welker was the flex player on our team. Uh, he would have gotten it either way. Cause I don't, I don't think we would have put Edelman as both the wide receiver two and the flex. So either way, if, even if Edelman got, but my concern here is, so Wes Welker got three votes at wide receiver one, six at wide receiver two, that's nine, and 16 votes at flex. So seven people, right? A third of our panel didn't think Wes Welker was one of the three best. Wait, do that math again? Three plus six is nine plus seven is 16. Yes, you're right. Yep. So seven people didn't deem Wes Welker one of the top two receivers or even a flex player on this team. That's a Julian, joke. Julian Edelman got... Two votes at wide receiver one, 12 at two, so that's 14, and six votes for wide receiver four flex. So he got 20 votes. He got more votes than Wes Welker across the board. That's also a joke that some people didn't think he did serving of the team. Yeah, so I just uh, – the way the voting at wide receiver – like, first of all, that Moss got less votes than both those guys is a little alarming to me. So I guess I – so I got it right. I was a consensus. I had Moss one, Edelman two, Welker flex. See, I got it right. I had Moss one, Welker two, Edelman flex. I, I could be sold on that too. I don't, I don't think there's really an argument there between Edelman. There, you could make your case for Edelman and Welker. Like, I, there's no wrong answer. I just weighed the, the winning more, and that's why I went with, with Edelman. So if Welker had played with Gronk. Yeah, he I would, Yes. Right? Yes. No, I, I just – I don't really care. And Edelman has closed the gap in recent years because of the statistics and the consistency over the last couple of years. I mean, you know, he started out slow. Like, the reality was they didn't think he was the guy. They signed right. Danny Amendola to be the guy. Amendola got hurt. Edelman suddenly played. Edelman suddenly stayed healthy. Edelman took the opportunity, ran with it, give him great credit for that, being able to do that. I just think it's a little bit like we'll talk about later, I think, with the offensive coordinator. Charlie Weiss was the architect. He was in at the ground level. He and Bill Belichick and those people back then built the offense, brought some of it with them from New York. Whereas the other guys that come after it just kind of took the same playbook, tweaked right. it. Wes Welker was kind of the architect of the slot role. I know Troy Brown preceded him, had 100 catches and all that, but Welker was really the guy who took it. We've even seen Bill talk about it in those documentaries. You know, if you cover Moss deep and you cover Welker underneath, well, we're screwed. Well, yeah, and if you do both those things, it means you're a really good defense because it was really hard to defend the way you built that with right. Brady. But, okay, so we can move on. Running back position. Uh, Corey Dillon got the nod. As he should. He got 13 votes. Kevin Falk was second with five. White was third with four. And Antoine Smith got a vote um, from somebody early on, which I do think I wouldn't vote I'm, for I'm him. raising my hand. That was me. But – you can make an argument that his job as the running back on that 0-1 team where they had to run the ball yep. was impressive. That's now, kind of how I looked at it. He was the guy that year, basically. And now, it Corey Dillon was the guy two years later and set the franchise record for rushing. Yes, but I could have voted for Dillon, sure. I, I just I went, I don't know why I went with Smith, but I did. Um, I went with Dillon. I mean, the franchise record – the, you know, best season by a running back, the way he had big runs, the way he powered, he fit in with that. And we remember, it was still the early stages of Tom Brady and the passing attack with Deion Branch and David yes. Givens. And so he was the centerpiece of that offense. He was just a better centerpiece of an offense. 
Um, and when he came here, everybody thought, you know, maybe he was done and he was a problem and he ended up kind of being a problem later on, but, uh, he was very, very good that year. So I, I mean, I think that was just, it was the best season in the history of the team, but if you downgraded him for short term run, I could see, but Antoine Smith was a short term run too. Well, so. I also went off like winning and they only, they each won one Super Bowl, So it wasn't like you could give the edge to Dylan there. And I just thought that, uh, Smith was more important to that Oh one team than Dylan was to his two years. Sure. All right. Make that argument. I don't agree with it, but you can make that argument. I'll let you. The other argument, I don't know how you can make it for. Like, how, how can you give Kevin Falk, like, he wasn't a typical running back. He's kind of like the James White type. Yeah. I mean, those guys, it's almost like if you wanted to, you would put a passing back on the team as a role because it's been such a key factor the whole time, whether it was – Kevin Falk, Shane Vereen, Danny Woodhead, Dion Lewis, James they White. They, what's that? They are Redmond. Uh, yes. Yeah. All along, that's been such a key role with the team that you could argue that that should be on their roster, but it's also a lesser role. I could argue there should be a long snapper on the damn team. You could also argue there could be a fullback on the team. Well, there was on the all-decade team, and he ran unopposed, as Stacey James liked to call it. I prefer to call it he was the unanimous selection. Yes. Didn't care for that backhanded compliment by the PR director. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so that's the uh, the offensive team. Um, we didn't mention, by the way, the head coach is Bill Belichick because, you know, there's only been one head coach. We don't yeah. really have anybody else to choose from. <laughs> no, we didn't. We didn't. Um, okay, so get over to the defensive side of the ball. Uh, so defensive line had four – four people were voted for. We had to pick four. Uh, they were Willie McGinnis, Chandler Jones, Vince Wilfork, and Richard Seymour. And three of them, McGinnis, Seymour, and Wilfork, were unanimous, which I have no problem with. Both had long, impactful careers um, that overlapped in various ways. They were all first-round picks of the team that they nailed. They hit. Those were elite first-round picks. Certainly Seymour is – should be in the Hall of Fame at some point. He's been a finalist the last couple of years. I think Will Fork will never get in, but is one of those borderline candidates. I think he's deserving. Yeah. I mean, it's just hard. It, to me, at that position, if you're going to be a nose tackle, you have to be like a defensive player of the year candidate, a Cortez right. Kennedy, a whatever, right. Warren right. Sapp, Aaron Donald. And Agreed. Yep. He wasn't really that in a different role. Um, so it's hard. Like I was just listening, by the way. Uh, fascinating that it suckered me in. Our station is airing some uh, classic Westwood One football games on Monday nights. And I listened to Super Bowl 23, I believe, 49ers Bengals last night. Um, and strangely, was very interested. Listened for a full hour on my ride home from the station after doing Mud at Night. A um, couple interesting observations from that. Jack Buck is really good, or was really good until he died, um, with... Ah, uh, what the hell's his name? The Chiefs coach. The uh, Hank Stram was his color guy. Um, he wasn't as good, but I enjoyed him because he was very critical. This was a Super Bowl uh, with the 49ers coached by Bill Walsh, considered maybe the best offensive coach in history. And there was one play where they ran the ball to like the open side, to the non-tight end side. And he just absolutely, oh, that's a terrible play. You got to run that play call to the, the tight end side. There's no point in running it to the back side there. And he just went on this whole rant like Bill Walsh was the biggest dummy on the face of the planet. Uh, so I enjoyed that. But uh, what made me think here is Tim Crumry was the nose tackle for the Bengals. Broke his leg in the game. Another interesting note, the 49ers left tackle and Tim Crumry both broke their leg in the first quarter at Joe Robbie Stadium on uh, apparently questionable turf. Um, but Tim Crumry was the Bengals' leading tackler as a nose tackle in for a Super Bowl team, which I thought was was interesting. So, like, that's – you know, he's a great nose tackle, or Fred Smurless is a great nose tackle. I think Vince Wilfork is one of those guys that will be known as a great nose tackle but, who's never yeah. – doesn't get a gold jacket. Right. I could see that. That was a long story to get to a short point. So, the who was the person that did – so, who got – Break down the votes, because Chandler Jones got in, but who was close? Um, okay, so McGinnis, Seymour, Wilfork, all got all 23 selections. Chandler Jones got eight select, I mean, 13 selections, and Rob Ninkovich was next with eight selections. Trey Flowers got two as the only other guy 
um, earning the votes. Now, Chandler Jones, I personally don't ever think he's as good a player as his numbers indicate. Agreed. But he was a good pass rusher, good edge player for the Patriots. His numbers got even better since his, you know, uh, going to Arizona, defensive player of the year candidate, led the NFL a couple of years ago in sacks. I mean, he's just – the numbers he's putting up are Hall of Fame caliber numbers. Um, and even with the Patriots, he was putting up big numbers, double-digit type sack numbers and all that. I just – I've never seen him dominate a game or impact a game the way – you know, I always make the Jason Taylor comparison back to the, the Dolphins, but you could say it with – um, Khalil Mack, like when he arrived in Chicago a couple of years ago and Khalil Mack was just, he was the reason the bears changed. Like he was impacting the game on every play. I've just never really seen that from Chandler Jones. And quite frankly, he's always been a really good player on defenses that haven't really been all that dominant. Like he hasn't, he's put up numbers and he doesn't, first of all, I should get the uh, little thing out of, um, little caveat out of the way that he doesn't like me and I don't like him personally. He thinks I'm an a-hole. He still I was going to say, when are we going to get to that? Um, but I, I, part of that might be just because I don't think he's as great a player as A, other people do, or as B, he thinks in his own mind. And So you uh, voted for Nikovich? No, I think I voted for Chandler Jones because I do think he's better than Nikovich. He's a athletically pure all-around player. Nikovich, to me, is one of those perfect, like, team Hall of Famer we always talk about. Like, he's a really good player – got the most out of his ability, scrappy, but is not a dominant player by any means. Or would you rather have him on your Patriots team or Chandler Jones? Um, That's why I voted for Rob Nikovich. He's a perfect Patriot. Does personality matter? No. I like Nikovich better. I mean, he's a better guy. I think he probably works harder, maximizes more, all of those things. I think he, he did whatever the team asked, and I think Chandler Jones had an issue with that. That's why he was traded. That's probably fair. I mean, you could sway me on that. Um, I think whoever plays with the other three is going to be pretty good because they're going to get a lot of opportunities to perform. Um, also, there were some questions. People didn't care for the fact that we included McGinnis as a defensive end, defensive lineman, as opposed to an outside linebacker. I just think that's what he was. I mean, he was – sure, there was a lot of time in the early 2000s where they were a 3-4 team and he was right. standing up, but – to me, at his base, his build, his size, coming out of USC, some of the other t- – like, he was a defensive end, and whether his hand was in the dirt or not, as they like to say. Um, whereas, you know, Vrabel was another edge guy that, to me, was an outside linebacker. Like, and that's why Vrabel was included with the linebackers. Speaking of linebackers, um, Mike Vrabel, Dante Hightower, Teddy Bruschi, Gerard Mayo. Those were the four that were selected. Teddy Bruschi was unanimous. He was one of our unanimous selections, 23 votes. Mike Vrabel and Dante Hightower got 20 votes each. So three people didn't vote for those guys, but the majority uh, thought they were obvious candidates. And then the third guy was Mayo with 16 votes. Um, After that, there's a significant drop-off to Jamie Collins, four votes, Kyle Van Oy, one, Roman Pfeiffer, five, Ted Johnson, two, and Roosevelt Colvin, one. So... um, I believe I voted for the top four. I think I did, pretty... too. I did too. I just checked. Um, you know, I, I loved Roman Pfeiffer as much as anyone. I just think he was a good, not great player. It's funny. If who, you ever hear who's those. Who's your last person? Like, who, who are you deciding between to get in at this spot? I think it was Mayo Collins Pfeiffer for me. Like, I voted for, I think Brewski, Variable, and Hightower are your top three. Yep. Um, and then it was Mayo. Uh, who was a good, not great player, you know, sort of a traditional inside linebacker, not a ton of plays, um, short career, injuries wiped out some seasons, injuries cut his career short. Um, but I still think he was a really good player. He was an all-pro uh, player one year. Yeah, one so. year. I, I mean, what year was it? He, like, had so many tackles. Like, we, Oh, yeah, that was. I think that was the all-pro year. It was like 150 yeah. tackles. And he was a good, good player that I think had he played, like, three or four more years – maybe not had the injuries, maybe won a little bit more, like gotten the opportunities in the postseason, I think I would look at, and a lot of people would look at differently. But Hightower has been the guy that's made the clutch postseason plays, and that pushes him. Most is those plays. And that pushes him above all else. That that elevates him a little bit. And he's been doing that since day one. Do you remember, I think it was their first game when those two were the first-round picks. Um, 
was it a preseason game or a regular when either Hightower had the strip sack and Jones recovered or Jones had the strip sack? I think sack. it was a regular season game. I feel like it might have been their opener, their debut. So but, um, you know, he's always made plays, crooked numbers, put it in all the uh, various categories. So I think he's very deserving. Um, I was happy to see, and this this isn't really a shot at him, but a guy like Kyle Vanoy, the recency bias, I didn't know if he'd get like a bunch of votes, and he got one, which I, I is fine. He's a good player. Um, but to see like Jamie Collins get more votes, because I thought, because Vanoy made the all-decade team that yeah. they just put out, um, I thought Collins should have been on it. His statistics beat Vanoy's in every category. Yep. Um, he went to the Pro Bowl in his first tour of duty here. More game, like everything. I thought Collins should have been on it. But um, and then Tyler, I think it's nice that Ted Johnson got a couple votes. Now I don't know if that's from like Jermaine Wiggins or Christian Fourier, you know, right. people that played with him, buddies, whatever. But he got a couple votes. But otherwise, I also think if you made me, you know, the Teddy Bruski unanimous, whereas Vrabel isn't, like. I think Vrabel's just as good a player as Teddy Bruschi. Uh, yes. I think I, there's a lot of bias with Bruschi that he's on ESPN, on our airwaves. Like, he's sort of the media-friendly guy. Like, right. people see him more. And so I think that's why people – people love Teddy Bruschi. And he did have a longer career because he came to the Patriots as a draft pick at 96 or whatever. Um, and I think there's that – underdog scrappy story like an Edelman where you know oh he's a college pass rusher deep lineman what's he gonna be evolves into a linebacker has the stroke wins a lot heart and soul flashy player I think there's a lot of reasons for sort of the image of Brewski compared to a guy like Vrabel like if you just said to me do you want Teddy Brewski or Mike Vrabel on your team like you're drafting a team I would take Mike Vrabel I think he's a better football player I'd take both I think they're both very very good um, but the things Vrabel could do, and, you know, maybe you give Vrabel some credit for his touchdowns, too, as a uh, tight end fill-in for Christian Fourier. That is true. Uh, cornerback. Cornerback. Gilmore, Ty Law. So, Stephon Gilmore got 21 votes out of 23. Ty Law got 18 votes out of 23, which I found um, borderline laughable. That Ty Law, five people didn't think Ty Law was one of the top two corners of the last 20 years for the Patriots. Um, maybe they missed his Hall of Fame induction ceremony. I don't know if they were asleep that weekend. You know, that, was, that, was, that was kind of recent, though. So everybody yeah, I, I don't understand it. Like, I'm fine with Gilmore. He's had some nice years here, defensive player of the year. That's not something Ty Law ever did. I think Gilmore, you know, they've won with Gilmore. I think there's reasons you can argue for Gilmore as being very much on the team, very much one of the top two corners. But to me, this started with Ty Law. You, you list Ty Law first, and then you – and the fact that five people decided he wasn't worthy of the ballot, and then you have people voting for Darrell Revis, who was one year, and if I recall correctly, wasn't even great for like the first month, month and a half of that season. He got really good – it's like when Browner arrived off his suspension, then they started to click, and it all kind of right, came but- together – Right. And the pass defense was great the second half of that year. And Revis was great, but I'm sorry. Ty Law was great for a long time, you know, and right. he should have that brewski. Like he was a draft pick. He worked his way up. He was an all pro and a pro bowler. And I'm sorry, the Ty Law, the, the, the role he played in beating Peyton Manning, that should get Ty Law on this team by itself. Yep. So I find that weird. Butler got two votes and Asante, Wes Welker, Samuel only got one vote. He could have had an interception in a big game. He didn't, so everybody hates him. He's too cocky. He left. I don't know what the reasoning is, but I'll tell you, he's up there among guys in Patriots history who do not get the respect they deserve. Now, he's not as good as he thinks he is, because if you follow him on Twitter, he thinks he's better than Deion Sanders and maybe the greatest cornerback in the history of the game. He's not that, but he was a really good cornerback for a long time. Who would you vote for? Uh, Gilmore and Law. Who'd you vote for? Law and Butler. Wow, one of the two Butler votes. Um, it's to me, the Super Bowl, the play, is that what we're voting for? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, you can make that argument. I just like if like uh, to be clear, if we're arguing player, it's Gilmore. But I just think when you're looking at the way that I voted for this team, it was about the way that you know the franchise is gone. And they wouldn't have won the Super Bowl without Malcolm Butler, so he gets on this team. 
Right, but they also wouldn't have probably won a Super Bowl without Gilmore. It's uh, I don't. It's not the same. I agree with you. But, right. Um, and I mean, he had the best theoretically, the best cornerback season of the twenty years. I mean, because yes. he won the defensive player. Not only was the best corner, he's the best defensive player in football that helped them win a lot of games last year. They went to the playoffs. It's not like it was like he was accumulating stats or awards on a crappy yeah. team. I mean, they could have been the two seed. They, you know, although to be fair, if he didn't suck in the finale, they would have been the two seed. Correct. He did fail late in that year. So, I mean, I guess you could hold that against him, but not too many people did other than you. All right. Sorry. I did, that's just, I, I think I voted for this team differently than others did. But that's fine. You should, because I said that to Mutt last night on, on our station that, like, when you vote for the Pro Football Hall of Fame or you vote for the MLB Hall of Fame, uh, Pro Baseball Hall of whatever the hell it's called, um, Cooperstown, when you vote for that, there's actual, you know, morals cause and what you're supposed to think about. Or in the NFL, they sit in a room and they debate it and try to convince each other. This is our own personal whatever you weighed higher, whether it was Super Bowls, longevity, statistics, any of that. I mean, whatever you want to weigh. So I think that's, in a way, it's kind of good because it gets your just pure gut reaction based on what you saw over the last 20 years. Right. Uh, safety was Devin McCourty and Rodney Harrison. Yeah, and safety was, where did I list it? Uh, pretty clear cut. Um, McCourty was one of our unanimous votes, 23 votes. Rodney Harrison had 20 votes, so he was near unanimous. The other three votes went to two to Lawyer Malloy early on. Short tenure, though, in the Brady uh, period. Yeah, that's true. And Patrick Chung, who sort of the other end, what was that face for? I know people can't see faces, but you made a face. How can you vote for Patrick Chung over Rodney Harrison? Uh, it's a fair question. You can't. I mean, you just can't. Like, I think Patrick Chung's good. Oh, he's a very good player. But I get sort of like what you said, team Hall of Fame guy, like a good right. story, good guy, but not – not to this level. And to me, you can't vote for anybody. If there's only two votes, this should have been 23 and 23 for Harrison and McCourty. Yes. Longevity, winning, good. You know, to me, Chung would then be in the next conversation of oh, yeah. Lawyer Malloy or whoever else you might want to mix in. Um, so, yeah, that was pretty obvious. Then we get to special teams where my biggest argument of the whole damn thing is. So, announce the kicker. Adam Vinatieri. Okay, so we nailed it. We got that right, right? Yep. Unanimous. Except it wasn't. Yep. Two people voted for Stephen Gostowski, which I can't fathom. I cannot make an argument. And the example I used last night was, if I hold a gun to your head and you have to pick one of these two kickers to make a kick to save your life, if he misses, I pull the trigger. If he doesn't, you walk away. I'm sorry. It's Adam Vinatieri every time, right? Yes, no, no question. And I think, I think this is how many times, like he, even the last couple of years after Gus Kelsey's, you know, won Super Bowls, he just still didn't have the confidence of fans. Cause he, first of all, he doesn't exude confidence. No, he, he has his own big games. What did, what did he have? He missed kicks in their Patriots final game for what, three straight years, four straight years. I think it was four straight years. That's a Paul Perillo st statistic. He used yeah. to love to trumpet that. Um, he's obviously, had his issues. Um, he, he's, a good, he's a good kicker. He's a great very good. kicker. No, no, I think he's a very good kicker. But Bill Belichick has said that Vinatieri might just be or is the greatest kicker in the history of the game. Yeah. He started the dynasty. He won the first three he Super Bowls. The all biggest years. kick in franchise history. Biggest kick in sports history, I would argue. Yes. So, uh, another note, a guy missed a 10-yard like, uh, a field goal in the uh, – uh, the Super Bowl that you've listened to? 49ers, Bengals. Still the shortest kick uh, field goal miss in Super Bowl history. I, th I think they're on the two-yard line or something when he kicked it. It was unbelievable. Um, sounded like it might have been a bad snap. Um, but, like, I just – Vinatieri, I think this is, A, recency bias, and, B, PFF. Because he, you know, the stats accumulation, he's the all-time points leader. So are you, are you calling out John Anderson that he probably voted for Guskowski? Um, It may have been. I know one of them was a young producer, not named John Anderson. Um, but I do think I it's... I know John likes the PFF stuff. Right. And well, he probably voted for him too. Two morons voting for uh, Gostowski over Vinatieri. But I, I just, I, I can't fathom that idea that 
that was one of the automatic ones for me. Like that to me should have been, or could have been treated like Gronk and Brady yeah. pencil it in. Like you don't even get to vote. It, it's at a military, but it wasn't. And I guess it shouldn't have been because two people voted for somebody else. Uh, punter was Ryan Allen. Then we had a return section, which was Julian Edelman. And then a special teamer, which went to Matthew Slater. Okay, so I don't mind. Slater got 20 of the votes. Uh, three went to Larry Izzo, another Pro Bowl special teams player. Great player. Very similar to Slater. Yeah, I would say Slater's better. Yes. Um, different build, different little bit of a different role within yes. the team. Um, but Slater is, you know, people – remember last year I talked to uh, – the hell's the punter's name again that we have? Jake Bailey. Jake Bailey. I got to tell you, I got to learn his name before the season comes. Um, when he just flippantly said, I have the best um, gunner in the history of the game. He, he might be right. So I think that's a good call for Slater. The punter one, a little surprising me that Ryan Allen ran away with it the way he did. 20 votes, two for Ken Walter, one for Mesco. Um, Allen was good. I don't know that he was great, but you know what? Walter wasn't very good either. None of them were very good. They haven't had great punters. Oh, I was actually going to bring it up. They, none of these kickers, punters, were, like, great. They weren't no. the best in the league by any means. If and you remember, I don't know when it was, 2003 or four. somebody interviewed Belichick's dad, Steve Belichick, and he was like, oh, the team's great. They, now, if they could just get an actual punter or something, like he took a vicious cheap shot at Ken Walter, and I think Belichick never let his dad talk to the media again after that. Um a little like Brady when he has to shut his dad up. Yes. But Ken Walter is more known because he was the holder on all the big kicks. Right. You know, Lonnie Paxton, Adam Minitary, Ken Walter were the, the three amigos, the trio that had all that success that they needed early in the dynasty. So I'm fine with Ryan Allen. And I guess, you know, theoretically, Ryan Allen was in consideration to be the MVP of a Super Bowl uh, yep. a couple years ago. So give him that. Return man is where I have my biggest problem. I think Troy Brown was by far – the best returner of the era by far. I don't even think it was close. And Edelman got the nod. I voted for Troy Brown. So you can't yell. See, I also voted in one way. I voted for Troy Brown because I had already voted for Edelman for the, the that's flex. Where I, that's where I was too, but you bring up a good point from a returner. Troy Brown was very, very good. He was clutch. He, and Edelman is good. Edelman's very good, but Troy, you don't win. Now I could say this about a lot of people because of the way they won back then, but you don't win. 2001 without Troy Brown returning for you. You don't win. Probably not, yeah. You're not the champions. So I weighed that more heavily. Um, I probably should double check. Are there any games they wouldn't win along these Super Bowl waves without Edelman? He's, he's good, but Troy right. Brown's better. Should have been Troy Brown, and I like Troy Brown. He got screwed. Uh, offensive coordinator was Josh McDaniels, and defensive coordinator was Romeo Cornell. Okay, so I'm interested in this with the way we've been talking. So Josh McDaniels got 19 votes. Charlie Weiss got four. Now, some of that surprised me a little bit because I feel like a lot of people dislike McDaniels. If you, you know, listen to the radio or read Twitter during games. Yeah. So that I found interesting. Now, Charlie was a shorter span. It was 2000 to 2004 and he left. But I also think you would got to give Charlie what we talked about earlier. He was the architect of the offense. Whereas Josh and Josh, to his credit, fully admits this offense hasn't changed since he took it over. They tweak it, they adjust it, but it's the same basic system, terminology, everything that Charlie put in place. They just call it differently based on personnel and the, you know, as the ebbs and flows over the years. But I like Josh, so I have no problem with him because he has been the longest tenured offensive well, coordinator. You could also say he's sort of evolved. It's not like he's just gone off of what Charlie's done. He's made it his own in a way. Yeah, the basic, yeah. The basic concepts are still there, but he's – He's made, you know, do with what he has. Well, I've always said that about Josh is like, he's kind of grown as Brady's grown as the offense is, you know. Yes. He was there for the dink and dunk early days. He was there for the explosion of the offense. He came back and, you know, the Sony Michelle playoff run and run the ball and figure out what we need to do each week. And, you know, even last year, what do we do best? Well, we don't turn it over and we don't get sacked, you know, playing to his strengths and slash avoiding his weaknesses and I know it was a long time ago but I can't like I don't like I recall a lot of times with Josh and the Patriots being like that was a great play call like, that was a really good call right like did you ever I don't know if Weiss was the same way because it was so long ago but I just think there's he, more there's more moments with that with Josh by saying like that was a really good play caller that was a great drive like from a play calling standpoint he was he was similar like they did some of that 
Um, I think Josh is a little bit better at that, the timely screen and some of the things that just feel like they hit at the exact right time. Even the, the trick plays, too. You always know that Josh yep. has one of those up his sleeves. And I, I just go back to that Ravens playoff game, double pass. Like, that was the, the, the play of, of that the signature play in that game. Right. Yeah, I'm a Josh fan. You don't have to sell me on Josh. I was just a little bit surprised that it was so close to, you know, being unanimous. On the other side, defensive side of the ball, Romeo Cornell got the nod with 18 votes, four for Matt Patricia, one for Brian Flores. Of course, we're giving him credit, even though he never actually held the title of right. defensive coordinator. Um, I was a little bit just interested in this because there's no recency bias. So Charlie didn't get any votes, really. Romeo, who had, well, was there the same span, got a ton of votes. But because there was, if there was a guy that was on the defensive side of the ball for an extended period, you would have gotten some more for the newer person, but they've just had so many different people that haven't really had the position for a long period of time. Patricia was there for longer than Cronell. Yeah, I know, but like Belichick kind of gets the nod there as being the defensive guy there. Patricia was just kind of around. Right, and even, you know, A, I think they were the best defenses, the, the, the early years, two, three, four, that stretch. Romeo had some of the best defenses. A, and B, I said A already, so B, uh, I always gave him credit, and, and I always described him as sort of the intermediary between Belichick and the, the players and the guy that kind of made it understandable, likable, worked with those veterans and was, you know, Bill was sort of the hard ass and the, the scheme guy. Um, so I gave him credit for that. I also think, you know, who knows, maybe if they had had a defensive coordinator last year in a in a titular sense, as I like to say, maybe that person would have gotten votes, but you know, Steve Belichick, Gerard Mayo, who, you know, Bill, who was running the show. Right. They had the number one defense, but you can't really credit anybody. I, I like it because I like Rack. I think he's, I said this with Mutt last night. I think he's one of the sort of underrated coordinators of his generation. Like, I know he got a head coaching job and then he was the interim in Kansas City and all that. But like, I think people would say Wade Phillips long before they would say Romeo Cornell. Yeah. I think Romeo's in that conversation as one of the better DCs of this generation. So it's a good team. I, I actually like the idea. Um, you know, even though we didn't, I don't think we had quite, Oh, we also had one last person on there. It was the WEEI tight end. Somehow Fourier won. I think he stuffed the ballot box. I'm sorry. You got to go Wiggy there. I went Wiggy. I went Fourier just because this was a Patriots team. How many, look at the, the, the tenures with the team. Well, so if I vote for Fourier, do I get Vrabel with them? Because anytime they needed a touchdown, they put Vrabel in the game and took Fourier out, and they went to Vrabel. Wiggy had – I looked at the stats. I didn't realize just how, like, little of an impact Wiggy actually had. Well, no, he had a big impact for a short period of time on a Super Bowl run. Yes, but, like, that year – I want to look it up. Do you, like, he wasn't a major part of that team, and he only was with the Patriots for one yeah. year. He was a big part in the snowball, and he was a big part in the Super Bowl. Yes, but those are just two games. Like, he had, he had, in that 2001 season, he started six games, had 14 catches for 133 yards and four touchdowns. Now, I'll give him credit. Four of his uh, catches were touchdowns, but and 10 of his 14 catches went for first downs. But I, he just well, didn't have the, the numbers. You should also know they didn't have another tight end who could catch the ball. Rod Rutledge was a tackle. He was their backup tight end. They had no tight ends at that time. It was Wiggy or bust. But he also impacted the, uh, the playoff run very dramatically. No, if you want me to tell you who the better player is, it's Christian Fourier by a mile. Right. Um, and he did his own playmaking, did his own scoring. He was a good player. Um, but, you know, Wiggy, the impact on those early, that early Super Bowl run, those early playoff games, whoo-wee. But whatever. No, that was this was I think a lot better than the all decade team because it actually spurred some debate and there was you know some actual discussion at some positions that wasn't there with the all decade team where it was pretty clear cut. Right, because you know the all decade team nobody voted for like Nick Folk and did something dumb like that. Right. Well, this this is true. Uh, and other Patriot stuff this week we'll have the the schedules coming out Thursday night on NFL Network. Um, we still don't know for sure that there'll be a full 16-game season, even though everybody in the league says that there will be. They're planning on the schedule being uh, – the regular season starting on time. Uh, do you have an issue with the schedule coming out now? Because some people seem to be not concerned but don't like it. Well, the only thing I would say 
is it gives people maybe too much hope or information in terms of like, what if you go book a hotel and a, a flight for a game like that well, never happened? You get refunded. I think airlines are refunding tickets. Like, so I get it. You have to prepare like it's happening. Like you can't just say in just the way that the NFL works, you can't say in, you know, July 31st season starting on time and then having everybody scramble for a month to get your week one accommodations. I'm not talking from a fan's perspective, the team's perspective, they need to plan this out. Well, no, but the t- you could let the teams know without going public. You could let teams behind the scenes begin their preparations. You really think that wouldn't leak out? No, you're right. I don't really care that they're doing it. I have no problem that they're doing it. My annoyance has always been, I hate the emphasis we put on all of this, that we have to have an announcement for when an announcement is coming. And especially this year, a schedule that's probably not worth the paper it's going to be written on Thursday night because some things are going to be tweaked or altered. We've already heard that they have changed it so that they can do 14, 12 games, backload the division even more than usual. Because, I mean, the questions that are in the air are ridiculous right now. Like, they, I think they'll be able to play if they want to play. But how they play could be very unique, you know, in terms of, what states are doing, what states are allowing. They cannot – I don't think they'll be able to play under – and this goes the same for college football – under uniform rules. And what I mean by that is you're not going to be able to say we're playing in front of full stadiums or partial stadiums because what happens in San Francisco, Foxborough, L.A., New York, they they could all be different. Yeah. Right. They could all be different. So – and there's already the comment – out of San Francisco that they don't view them allowing um, sporting events until Thanksgiving. Yep. So how you tweak the Niners schedule, you, if you're the Niners, you may have to either play at a neutral site or accept the fact that you may play home games on the road. Like you may have to play at Seattle twice instead I of having. I also do think that there could be a, just because the NFL is so strong, them convincing the local government that we're playing. Oh yeah. No, I, I agree with that. I think that's why I think it's a massive unknown. I just don't think that'll happen in 32 stadiums and 32 cities that it's going to be the same. Like, you know, Wisconsin could very well have 60,000 people at Lambeau field. Right. I don't think that there's a very good chance you'll have 32 stadiums early in the, the fall that are allowed to have 60,000 people. And then you get into all the, you know, the Peter King column of what that leads to. And yep. I don't really understand the economics of, you know, the Dolphins presentation of yeah. 15,000 and, and right. like, so you're going to open your entire stadium, staff it, you know, treat it like it's the whole thing is open because you're distancing everybody. So people are going to be in the upper deck. They're going to be lower. They're all spread out, but you only have a quarter of the people spending any money i feel like you're going to lose more money than if you just didn't have staff it, it and no fans, right right because right. if you have no fans you don't need security you don't need, like it's just closed it's just players coaches sideline staff so and then peter king threw the idea that they might not allow beer sales in stadiums which i can't envision well if they're not to have any beer the why even bother having food and drinks and whatever right and and even worse Bud Light pays Boku Dinero to be the the presenting sponsor, the big beer. So now you're not allowed to buy Bud Light. So I would think, A, you can't sell the beer, which is your biggest moneymaker. Because yep. you can see people stacking up their cups that were $10, $12, $14 a piece. And then Bud Light isn't getting, you know, the guy in the front row with his metal bottle on TV. Like, right. I would think Bud Light would want some of their sponsorship money back. So I can't envision having stadiums open with no beer sales if the fans are there but there's a lot of things i can't envision that may come to fruition who knows what do you think from a media perspective i do think that we'll be at gillette stadium uh peter king said no he posed the idea that everything will be done like we've been doing it on zoom calls and um i think we will be eventually now we may be like i could see interviews under the bridge with masks on and six feet apart Yep. Like I could see some of those types of things. And maybe you maybe it's only one-on-one interviews. Maybe you have to request and it's it's no group interviews. They'll present maybe they present two to three players a day in a group setting online. 
And if you want one-on-ones, you go to Gillette, you're under the bridge, you wear a mask and it's just a one-on-one interview, no gang bangs with people pushing and shoving and spitting on each other. Um, I do think there will be changes to the way we cover the team that will be. Like, I don't, I would be not shocked, but surprised if we're in the locker room on a regular basis. I agree. Yeah. I don't think we'll, I, I think, and who knows, it may end up being the end of, of open locker room altogether down the road as this plays out, which I'm not necessarily opposed to. No? No. Why? I've just, I've always thought it was an archaic existence. I don't need to stand around and watch people change. And, you know, most of the players in the Patriots locker room don't go in there anyway. So we hang around for no reason to talk to the same freaking people all the time. Like, I prefer the training camp where you request people, they have to come talk to you on their way off or they don't, you get what you get. You don't get upset. You move along. Um, I know base, I know veteran writers and baseball writers get all up in panties in a bunch and hot and bother. Oh, I build my relationships. Okay. We'll find a different way to build your relationships. I agree with the training camp thing. I actually think that's better in a way. Like it puts more of a, it puts more of a more work, I guess, on the PR staff. But I think that, that's worked fine over the years. Right. And, and I think you might even, in the long run, build better relationships. I was going to say that, probably. I think players are probably going to be more willing to interact with you outside of the facility or via text or whatever if they know they don't see you five days a week for an hour just standing there. Like, yep. You know, you do a few interviews with a guy. He gives you his cell phone number. Now you guys text or you do, you know, when you need to. I think it could actually build better relationships than we get in the current locker room setting. So we'll see. And it might make people work harder. You've got to go to a few more charity events if you really want to build a relationship with a guy. And um, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if things change, but getting back to the schedule, um, I had a dumb idea. Okay. So I said to you, we're going to do an off day debate about what the toughest game is. Yep. Is there any argument against at Kansas city? I was actually thinking this as we were doing this podcast. Like, what, what, what's the other side of the debate? At Seattle, just because it's an like unfamiliar that. opponent, tough place to play, good well, team. Yeah, we're getting the tough place to play. Who knows if there's fans even there? Okay, unfamiliar opponent. I guess, but they have, they have a couple of those. Um, yeah, because we'll get some clarity on this once they announce the back-to-back, like, West Coast games and what the long trip is and – Assuming they do that, um, which I would be stunned if they didn't. I, it, they'll, somehow they're going to have to have extended stays on the West Coast. Of the, oh, they're going to have to. But, yeah, looking at it, I mean, at Kansas City, at Seattle, those are your marquee tough games. Uh, any home ones that really stand out? Not really. I mean, the 49ers. I, you could argue the 49ers or Ravens. Should we do most interesting game? Yeah, I think that's probably – well, What I mean, to me, the most interesting is the 49ers. Sure. What's, your, what's the argument? What's to the other side? Oh, I think the, the 49ers is just a ho-hum – I know Jimmy is a thing, but who gives a rat's ass? Brady's gone. It's not even Brady versus Jimmy. Yep. Right? So who cares? I think you can make an argument that the Chiefs games have already proven those are great games – over yep. the last couple of years. Now, that was with Brady. But yep. you have your AFC champion. Conference games matter more. So you could argue Lamar Jackson. Does Lamar Jack? It's a home game. You get to see Lamar in Foxborough. Um, Seattle at Seattle, I think, is an interesting game. Yeah, all right. I like that. Most That will be our debate to, to look for coming up. Most interesting game in 2020. Right. And I would say, I mean, I still think it's Kansas City because you're playing the Super Bowl champions in their house. It's a great test for Jarrett Stidham, theoretically. Jarrett yep. Stidham, the guy to go into Kansas City against Patrick Mahomes, is the spot too big for him. How does he respond? It's a big spot for your defense. If, if you know, the Patriots are built to run the ball and play defense, well, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, my guy that we predicted on our mock draft, Clyde Edwards-Elaire mm-hmm. at running back, there's no bigger test for the, the Patriots' defense and that style of play than at Kansas City. So I would say at Kansas City by far. All right, so we'll be doing that uh, probably up by the time this podcast is even posted. So check out uh, that debate on our website. Uh, vote for it in our poll to be on the off-day Twitter account. And uh, I guess it's you all – You have a Twitter account? What? 
We still have a Twitter account? Uh, we still do. I, I, I post our podcast there from time to time. That's pretty much all the content that goes up there. But We don't ask questions anymore? No, I mean, that's more of a regular season thing. But, hey, if, if you want to know our, when our podcast gets posted, you got to follow that Twitter account. I also think we should start taking questions again. I mean, we are in a world with no sports, and it's an interesting offseason for the Patriots. We could answer questions. We could maybe have a, a strictly a podcast, just questions, a mailbag. Yeah, that's putting a lot of weight on the listener's shoulders to actually interact enough. I have faith. Uh, I don't. <laughs> maybe we could try that. Maybe down the road, May and, and, and June, we have no, no training camp, mini camp, whatever. Um, but so- we, do, we do appreciate our listeners. I don't know if you saw on Twitter there were some questions you know, from PU listeners, Patriots.com listeners. We're talking about which podcast they listen to. And the, uh, the off-day podcast was included with PU and Tom Curran's podcast among some of the uh, go-tos for true Patriots fans. So we appreciate everybody listening. Feel free to subscribe. Feel free to continue to follow at off-day pod on Twitter, even though Ryan doesn't actually use that account very often. Uh, and I wouldn't know how to use that account, so I'm not taking any ownership of that. Um, and go to Apple, leave us a review, five-star, one-star, rip us, call us, F you, douchebags, I don't care. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. We're reacting to the schedule. Peace out.